the last days and the 144,000. We continue our sermon series on end time events and last day related topics. And this is one that is a very big topic. In fact, I had a much bigger topic planned and then I realized this is way too big. It will be continued. When will the topic be continued? Not next week, right? Because in two weeks, next week we will all, and I encourage you all, go out to Central Valley Christian Academy. A lot of times we do these convocations, and I only see a few Parkwood people, but it is really good. There's going to be a special Friday night program, 7 p.m. We're bringing in a special guest speaker from across the country, and there's a Sabbath school program at 9.30 like normal, and an 11 o'clock service, and there's a big free potluck. Uh, I think it's going to be haystacks like normal. So as far as possible, make sure you can, you can go there. And then, and then there's the gym masters, which Claire and I went to Southern Adventist University in Tennessee. We have seen the gym masters perform before. Next Saturday night, you're going to want to be there. Uh, it's free, and if you feel like donating it, it goes towards a good cause. And of course, tonight, there's a great musical program at the school. Lots of good things going on there. I got to go almost every day to hear the students speak for a week of prayer. We have one of them here in the congregation today. She did a great job, and all the students did great. It was really awesome to see. But today, the 144,000. Uh, it's, a, it's a subject that interests a lot of people. We've talked about it some in church. We've talked about it some in Sabbath school. Have you been enjoying the Sabbath school quarterly? Really good stuff. Really good stuff. But I was interested in looking at other perspectives on the 144,000. And so I just did a quick little search on Google. I learned about different perspectives. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe the 144,000 is a literal group starting from AD 33 up until the present day. Different people in different eras. They're kind of the super saints who will get to live and reign with Christ during the thousand years. And then later on, the rest of us saints, whoever we may be, will get to also go to paradise, but at a slightly lower level from what I understand. Um, there is this annual event called the Memorial of Christ's Death, where people among that particular faith group can attest that they are a part of this elect group. Uh, recently, there were 19,500 who, who had the confidence to say, yeah, I'm a part of that group. So it's a very interesting viewpoint. If you look at the Latter-day Saint Church, uh, they believe that this term, the 144,000, relates to the high priest, uh, the priesthood. And so only certain people among their faith can be a part of that. Uh, it's an important number in Islam. You can read about it in Islam. It's also featured in the Mayan calendar. There are cycles of 144,000 that are featured there. So it's a, it's a number that is not just um, important within Christianity, but even other faiths have taken a look at what this number is. But we only find it twice in the Bible. Yet within uh, Adventism, there are some different viewpoints. Some Adventists say this is absolutely a literal number. 144,000, no more, no less. Others say, no, it's got to be symbolic. Some say it's a select group, a kind of a group of super saints, a part of a larger group who will be saved in the last days. And others say, no, this is a part of anybody who's... A, the, who's alive and faithful to Jesus when he returns will be a part of this group. So we have some questions, key questions that I hope to answer and address 
and look at in our time together this morning. Number one, we want to know, is this a literal or symbolic number? That would be good to find out, right? Okay. Who are they? Just beyond symbolism or literalism, who are the 144,000? And are they the same as the great multitude in Revelation 7, or are they a different group? Um, finally, how can we be a part of this group? Because whoever they are, whatever it represents, it sure seems like it's a good group to be a part of. So are these some good questions that we can hopefully find some good answers for? So we better open up our Bibles. Revelation chapter 7, that's where we're headed as we dive into our topic for today. Where are we going? Revelation 7. Oh, very good. This corner was especially strong. Don't feel bad over here. You'll have another chance. <laughs> sheep and the... No, that's not how that... The sheep... No. <laughs> well, you're my left side. But I'm left-handed, so... No, okay, we're just having some fun as we're getting to our passage. Revelation chapter 7. From the very beginning, we need to notice the context of Revelation 7. It falls within the sixth seal. We are between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. It's kind of an interlude in between the two. But again, remember in the Bible, when it was first authored, there were no chapter breaks, right? We didn't break for chapters. And so we would continue from chapter 6, verse 16 and 17, right on through to 7, verse 1. And look at the question that we find at the end of chapter 6 there in verse 17. It says, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to what? Stand. To stand. So that's the question that is in the mind of the apostle, of the people being portrayed here. Um, Revelation 6, at the end of it, we see a picture of, of the nearness of the return of Jesus. And then there's a question, who can stand? And as we've talked about the last days, we've addressed already this idea of fear. Fear from physical harm, but then also spiritual Fear, am I good enough? How can I be sure I'm a part of this group? And last week, we saw the good news of judgment is that Jesus has already made provision for each and every one of us. In fact, as Brother Malcolm and I were talking about, even before the foundation of the world, he called us, he foresaw. But we still need to make the choice uh, now because now is the only life that we have to live. But when we make that decision, God says your record is clean and spotless. But we're going to continue uh, looking into this as we discuss this topic and in two weeks especially because we want to know who is able to stand. And Revelation 7 is the answer to that question. So we start there in verse 1. After these things, I saw how many angels? Four angels. And they're standing where? At the four corners of the earth, holding how many winds? Four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. So this is interesting already. We see 
already some, some powerful symbols. Um, we don't understand these things to be literal four winds or four corners of the earth. Um, we see the four points of the compass. No matter where you are on the earth, no matter what your situation might be, God is calling the angels to hold back what's about to come because he wants to do something. That's found in verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending in the east, salvation coming from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their what? On their foreheads. So the angels are like holding back these winds metaphorically. The winds of strife, of destruction, of chaos. As you study winds in the Old Testament, you see a number of places in Isaiah 66, Jeremiah 23, Hosea 13. These are elements, symbols that God uses to bring destruction upon unrepentant sinners. And God is preparing to come back here, but he doesn't want his people to be hurt by the judgments intended on those who are about to receive the mark of the beast. Amen. Amen. So this is already good news. This seal is intended for protection. For what? For protection on these people before Jesus returns. Okay? So it says that they are supposed to get a seal. A seal of the living God. And a lot of times when we think about seal in the Bible, we we only think about one seal. We think about the seal that's in opposition to the mark of the beast. In the last days, there are only two types of people. People who get the mark of the beast or people that have the seal of God. But as you study the Bible, you see that there are actually two seals. There's not just one sealing. I'll show you a couple of verses here to illustrate this. 2 Timothy 2.19, it says, Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. A seal in the Bible oftentimes relates to ownership. God puts his stamp of ownership on the people who have accepted him. What about 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22? God has put his seal on and given us his spirit in our hearts as a what? As a guarantee. And this was written by the Apostle Paul almost 2,000 years ago. So in Paul's day, he's saying, the Holy Spirit, God has sent his Holy Spirit and put a seal where? On our hearts in our hearts as a guarantee. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. This is an awesome verse on sealing. In him you also, when you heard the truth, what did you do? Believe. You believed in him. And then what happened next? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, misspelled guarantee in the last slide, of our inheritance. Notice the progression here. You first hear what? You hear the truth. The word of truth. And then that leads you to believe. Put your faith and respond to the word of truth. You hear it. You believe it. And then you get sealed by the Holy Spirit. And you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So, so for the last long period of time, all God's faithful believers have been receiving a seal. We might call this the seal of the gospel. Uh, in contrast to the seal that we're going to talk about here in Revelation 7, which we call this, the apocalyptic seal or the seal of the last days. So, uh, a little bit of compare and contrast here. Oh, let's look at one more verse, Ephesians 4.30. Because this first seal, just because you accept God and ex put your faith and trust in Him, doesn't mean that you are somehow limited from changing your mind later on. Right? We don't believe in once saved, always saved. In, in, like when you were ten, 10 years old, you gave your heart to the Lord at summer camp, and then you later decided you never wanted to walk with God ever again. You never repented, had no interest in God. God is not going to drag you kicking and screaming to heaven. He gives you the freedom of choice. And so notice here in Ephesians 4.30, it says, do not what? Grieve. Grieve. Don't keep pushing away the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Apparently, with this first seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit, you can decide later on, I don't want it anymore. I can change my mind. You gave me the Holy Spirit, you stamped me as your own, but God, I don't want to be yours anymore. I'm not going to repent. I don't want to repent. Get out of my life. Uh, now, I hope no one would ever say that, but the reality is... We've probably seen friends and family members who've done that very thing. Not in those words, but through their life choices. But the good news is, God has been sealing people for a very long time. Now the first seal is um, something that we all have to receive in order to get the second seal. So a couple of things. The first seal, we called it the seal of the gospel, accepting, putting your faith and trust in the gospel and in Jesus, receiving the Holy Spirit. The second seal is the end time seal, the apocalyptic seal, the one that is given right before the seven last plagues are poured out, right before what we call the close of probation. You see, there's going to come a time before Jesus comes back where you're in one of two boats, one of two camps, where you're either sheep or goats, lost or saved, have the seal of God or the mark of the beast. So there, there comes a point where everybody will have to make a choice once and for all, right? And, and just before that, the seal of God is given out and the mark of the beast is given out. Uh, and once those are in place, your decision has been made. You know, there are a lot of things that are causing people in our nation and in our world to be polarized today. You know what that means? There, there's all this controversy, and it's causing people on one side to get more extreme and radical one way, and people on the other side to get more extreme and radical the other way. Have you seen that? Yeah. Have, you, have you been on Facebook? <laughs> right? It's crazy. And what the Bible kind of describes is that the end time events work as a catalyst, something to speed up the process, to where in the end, the people who are for the Lord are for the Lord all the way. And the people who are against the Lord, it becomes manifest that they are against the Lord all the way. There will be nobody who arrives at the second coming and is on the fence. Right? Now, there will be people who think they're going with the Lord when the Lord returns. But the record will be very clear 
that should they be allowed into heaven, they wouldn't be happy there. They wouldn't be happy. That's really the bottom line. And so God sends out this last time seal, uh, and there are some, some differences. Um, the first seal is the precursor to the second seal. If you haven't accepted the gospel, are you likely to get the second seal? No. Uh, now, there are different ways that the gospel comes to us, but the first seal comes first, um, and here's some differences. The first seal is a seal of acceptance. I have accepted the work of Jesus in my life. I have accepted the Holy Spirit. I have given my life to God. And the second seal is God's ratification. It's like the house has been built. He's the, it's the final inspection, and he comes through, and he gives you the official building permit. Everything is good. You can now live in your house. It's safe. Um, the first seal is a declarative. You're declaring that you want your life to be hidden with Christ in God. But you could change your mind if you wanted to. God gives us the freedom to choose. But the second one is affirmative, where, where you are affirming and, and God is affirming specifically to you, you've made your final choice. You're not turning back. Amen. It's like uh, people talk about canning. Sarah and I have been experimenting with doing a little bit of canning. You know, there's great produce here in Modesto. A lot of allergens. Amen? <laughs> but there's good food that goes along with all the stuff that makes you sneeze and have asthma and all those things. So you might as well enjoy them. So we're trying to enjoy the great food that we have here. And when you... I'm learning about this. But when you put stuff in the jar and you've got it in the in the pot on the stove and you're boiling it, ultimately it's pushing out air and whatever. And when you put it on the counter to, to cool down, thank you, that's the word. <laughs> no, it's good. It's not yet sealed, but later as it cools down, that lid makes that little sound, right? And that means you're not gonna get botulism later on. You're not gonna get sick. Right? Unless you put horrible ingredients in that, you know, might make you sick. But it's been boiled, it's been purified, and the seal means it's not going to go bad. At least not anytime soon in this illustration. That's what the apocalyptic seal, the last time seal. God has been working in our life. We've been accepting him into our life. We've been saying, yes, Lord Jesus, cleanse me, make me yours. And just before... The final choice has been made. God from heaven hears the sound of the sealing of his people. They're secure in him. And likewise, the devil hears a sound, and I don't know the sound of the mark of the beast, but he hears the sound of his followers receiving his mark. Is this clear so far? Okay. Uh, the first seal can be broken by rebellion and lack of repentance. The second seal, once you have it, you don't want to change your mind. You're not going to change your mind. You're with the Lord and you are secure in him. And finally, the second seal in particular is one about what? Protection. We saw that earlier. Revelation 7, verse 3, 2 and 3. Hey, hold back the winds of strife. Hold back the seven last plagues. Hold back the destructive forces because we need to protect my people. We see this in other places as well, but the seal is about protection. 
this second seal, the apocalyptic seal. All right, are we fairly clear so far? Hopefully that's fairly clear. Now we need to keep on marching ahead. So we're back in Revelation chapter 7. God is doing a special work of sealing his people. And then we get to verse 4. And I heard, what does he say? He heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And then you can look, verses 5 through 8, the listing of all the tribes of Israel. But it's interesting because it's actually not all the tribes of Israel. There are, are two that are missing. Dan and Ephraim are not there. Um, there were actually 13 tribes when you go back. Joseph's sons were, were included. You didn't hear about the tribe of Joseph so much, but his two sons were tribe members, and the Levites uh, didn't have a full inheritance. So there were 13 tribes, but here we have a list of 12. Dan was one of the first to turn to idolatry. If you look in the book of Judges, his, his tribe in particular were idolaters. And remember when the nation of Israel split into two, there was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom? Dan, his tribe created an alternative altar, a false altar, because they, they couldn't worship in Jerusalem anymore. So they said, we're just going to make our own altar. We're going to do our own sacrifices. We're going to serve our own God down here. Tribe of Dan. So some say maybe because of the symbol of idolatry, Dan's not included. Also, when you see the name Ephraim in the Minor Prophets, you see that they, Ephraim is used as, again, a symbol of idolatry. So perhaps, now certainly the other tribes were not perfect, but perhaps that's the reason that those two were not included. But so far we've seen everything is very symbolic. The winds are symbolic, the four corners of the earth are symbolic, etc. The seal is symbolic. Uh, and we're beginning to get a sense that perhaps the 144,000 is not literal either. If you were to go today and to, to try and find the tribe of, of um, Gad. You could search the world, but you, you won't find any pure Gadites today. Because as the people were sent into captivity, they married amongst the people who they were living with, and the tribes of Israel are gone today. There's no pure, purebred tribes of Israel, as it were. So there's another indicator pointing us to the fact that this doesn't appear to be a literal group. The number is also very symbolic. How do you get to 144,000? There are different ways you could multiply it, but 12 times 12 is what? 144, and then you multiply it by 1,000. So you've got how many, you know, we say 12 tribes in the Old Testament, and then how many apostles in the New Testament? Disciples were there? There were 12. So we see a very, like, church, the people of God representative number here. Um, so what we find here is it appears to be symbolic, and we'll see other evidences for that. In Revelation 14, we see symbolism there. Um, but we see that these are the people who are alive when Jesus returns, right? We talked about that. They're sealed right before Jesus returns. The question is asked, who can stand? The great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? And then John hears a number. He hears about this group of people 
who apparently are able to stand when Jesus returns. Now, we got to keep on reading because we're, we're also trying to figure out, are they the same as the great multitude? Look at verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number. Probably not indicating that it, it was a number so big it's impossible to be numbered, but just if you were to see a very large crowd, you would say, wow, that's a really big crowd. I can't count all those people from my viewpoint. But if you got them all lined up one by one, could you count? Sure you could. So John sees an amazingly big crowd, which should give us good confidence that there are going to be a lot of saved people. Very big crowd from all nations, tribes, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in what? White robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. So, previously we had seen, well we had actually heard 144,000 described and they were about to go into the, the tribulation, the last plagues. But now, we've skipped ahead in vision. Because where are the people now? Yeah, they're apparently in heaven. They're standing there. What did I say they're doing? Standing. Who shall be able to stand? Okay, they're standing before the throne of God. They're clothed in white, a symbol of purity, a symbol of victory. They're waving palm branches, symbol of victory. And they're saying that God is their salvation. Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So, Apparently, John has gone from hearing about this group and then we're missing the part about the tribulation, but that comes later in Revelation. But now we get a vision of a group of people who are standing victorious before God. And, and if you look at verse 14, we get another clue as to who these people are. And he said to him, Sir, you know who are these people. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great what? Tribulation. tribulation. These people came out of the great tribulation. The great tribulation mentioned in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Here, apparently, it appears as though John is now seeing the people that he first heard about. And we actually find a, a pattern in Revelation where John hears one thing and he sees something different. In Revelation 5, he hears <clears throat> that the Lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered and is able to open the scroll. But when he looks, what does he see? Does he see a lion? He sees a lamb. That's right. Um, in Revelation 17, John hears about the harlot woman who's sitting on many waters. And then he looks, and what is she sitting on? She's sitting on a, a dragon-like beast, a scarlet beast. And there are other examples of this hearing and then seeing something different. And as I understand it, and you can disagree with me, and that's fine, even in our Sabbath school quarterly, it didn't pin it down one way or the other, but I think the evidence points to this group being the same as the 144,000. Now what's interesting is, they're described as 144,000, which we already said was 12 times 12 times 1,000, it's like they're organized in military rank. 
The, 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 the term thousand in the Old Testament was kind of the common basic unit of military like grouping. There's the Hebrew word elef, a thousand. So it's kind of like there are 144 ranks of this spiritual army about to go into battle for the Lord. And you see Revelation 19 describes that battle, but Jesus is actually the one who fights it for us and wins the battle for us. So we, we call the 144,000 the church militant. They're about to go into the final battle, the battle of Armageddon, you might call it. And then John gets a, a sneak preview. He looks into the future and he sees that the battle is over. The dust has settled and who are standing there? Who is able to stand? The people who are in white robes, waving the palm branches of victory. The battle's over and they're praising Jesus. They're not patting themselves on the back saying, hey, good job, you did it. They're pointing to Jesus and saying, he did it. He did the good job. Let's jump real quick to Revelation 14 because we get a further description of this group of people. Revelation 14, starting there in verse 1. And I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him, how many people? 144,000. This symbolic number of the saved of the last days. Having, on his father, having his father's name written where? On their forehead. Where did the seal of God go? On the forehead. These are the sealed saints of the last days. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, like the voice of a loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. And if you're following the King James, you've got to love the phrase, harpists harping on their harps. <laughs> or, or harpers harping their harps. Verse 3, And they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, which no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These were the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So this is an awesome picture. There are, there are seven or eight good descriptive characteristics of the 144,000. They've got the seal, the Father's name, the name, character in their foreheads, in their minds. They're singing a song. And it's a song, an experience that, that they've only been through, so only they can share. You can't share my testimony because it's mine, as I can't share yours. But they've been redeemed by God in a, in a way that nobody else could because they were alive when Jesus returned. And as you flip over later on to, to Revelation 15, 2 and 3, you see that they're actually singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. That song was sung after the people of Israel had come through the waters. After God had parted the Red Seas, they were being pursued by their enemies. He miraculously protected them. And on the other side of the bank, they sung praises to their God who delivered them. They're not praising themselves. They're praising their God who, who brought them through the great tribulation. And it says in verse 4 that these were not defiled with women for they're virgins. Again, uh, good indicators that this is a symbolic group. 
if it wasn't, it would only be men who had never been married. So that cuts most of us out, right? Uh, but this is symbolic. Women in the Bible represents God's people who are either faithful or not faithful. If she's a pure woman, she's faithful. If she's not a pure woman, she's unfaithful. So these people in the last days have put their faith and allegiance in God, and they haven't defiled themselves with the daughters of Babylon, with the apostate teachings and the churches, the fallen churches in the last days. They've stayed true to Jesus and to his truth, and they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They're not following a literal lamb around in heaven, although I bet there will be lambs, but they're following Jesus, our, our true lamb. Amen? Amen? Again, symbolic here. They follow him wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. I don't know about you, but when I read these words, this doesn't describe me very well. In their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault. How many of you are without fault? Now, last week, we talked about because we have been judged by God, we are, in his eyes, without fault. Amen? Amen. But sometimes we have mistaken these kinds of words, and we're going to talk especially about this in particular in two weeks. And we have placed a lot of stress upon the last generation, putting a bigger burden than God intended to be on their shoulders as we think about how we ought to be and live. And many people have become very discouraged because the focus has gone from Jesus to themselves. And in that mode of self-critique and shaming and all these guilt and blame cycles, they have lost hope. We're going to see in two weeks, does God have a high standard for us? Absolutely. Does God want us to strive to overcome in every area of our life? Absolutely. But is our God a God of mercy who covers our sins with his blood? Yes, he is. You know, 2 Peter chapter 3 Therefore, verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you look to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless. You see, God has been calling his people throughout all centuries to be blameless before him, not just the last generation. Uh, or what about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4? Before the foundation of the world, we were called to be blameless. So God's standard of holiness has never changed. But sometimes we've misunderstood what that means for us. But we need to finish up here. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. I intentionally only read the first part of verse 14. Because as we look at the description of the 144,000 and we compare it with our lives, we think, how could I ever be a part of this people who are able to stand. I've committed so many sins. I've made so many mistakes. God, you know my heart. How can I be a part of this group? Well, the answer is found in verse 14. 
He said to me, these are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation and they've washed their robes and made them what color? White. In the blood of the Lamb. God's last day people are able to be blameless because they have a blameless Savior. They're able to be spotless because they have a spotless Savior who's applied His merits in their lives. And they, of course, have been submitting to the Holy Spirit. And they are growing in grace and sanctification. But all their efforts are not good enough, but they have a Savior who has been good enough. And their, their robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. So let's wrap it up here before we have a final song. Who are the 144,000? I have presented and argued to you this morning that they are Jesus followers who are alive at his return. It's not a group of super saints who are like the saved, the, the super saved among the saved. These are the people who are alive when the Lord returns. These are people who have been sealed twice by the Holy Spirit. First, by receiving the gospel whenever they did that. And secondly, by that special apocalyptic sealing, end time seal of protection and affirmation. Who are the 144,000? I've suggested and shown you that there are people whose robes have been washed white through the blood of Jesus. And because of that, they are blameless. And finally, they're the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. How many of you want to be a part of this group? I want to be alive when the Lord returns. I hope I am. I pray that I am. And the way the world's going, I I sure think I will be. But whether the Lord comes tomorrow or whether he comes in a long time, I want to walk day by day following that lamb wherever he goes. I'm going to invite Sarah to come forward. We're going to sing a closing song. And if you know the words, you're welcome and invited to sing along with us. Uh, But think about the words, especially as it relates to today's topic.
us pray. Lord, we are excited to see your return. We don't know just exactly what the future holds, but we want our future to be held by you. And we're thankful that it has been, it is, and it will be. Wash us white as snow again today, every day, until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a happy Sabbath. Remember next week, go to Central Valley Christian Academy. Have a blessed week.